I just finished reading Joel Rosenberg's The Kremlin Conspiracy. It has nothing to do with our study or the Bible. <laughs> um, but there was a, a quote in there from, and I know I'm going to mess up his name, Solzhenitsyn. Um, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago. Um, anyway, he was a Russian author, and he, um, he was censored in Russia because he wrote about the Gulag, the, the work prisons, um, or work camps. But this is the quote, and just in lieu of what we've been studying, especially the first part of this chapter about evil, he says, in keeping silent about evil, in burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appears on the surface, we are implanting it, and it will rise up a thousandfold in the future. When we neither punish nor reproach evildoers, we are not simply protecting them, we are thereby ripping the foundations of justice from beneath new generations. And I thought, you know what? We're also ripping the foundations of faith from new generations. And so as I looked at this study, I kind of broke it up into three parts. I'm going to give you three F words, not, not bad F words. <laughs> Flee, follow, and finish. Flee. Well, Paul begins this section, this letter to Timothy, with a long list of evils. He's calling them out, and he's telling Timothy to flee from these evildoers. He says, have nothing to do with them. Paul is speaking of the last days. That's that time between the first coming of Christ and his second coming. So at the writing, they were in the last days, but now, almost 2,000 years later, we're still in the last days, right? In 2 Peter, um, Peter warns that there will be scoffers, and this is what they'll say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of time. But we read in verse 8, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And we also know that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but he's patient, patiently waiting so that no one will perish, but everyone will come to repentance. I thought, you know, the Lord's patience means salvation. Paul writes in many of his letters, and this one included, that there will be ignorant and unstable people who distort the truth of the scriptures to their own destruction. And that's why we find Paul telling Timothy to hold on to the faith, to fight the good fight, to persevere, to guard, to be strong, to endure, to remain faithful, and yes, to even flee those evil people who would come against him. Paul has no intention of keeping silent about evil. And in fact, in some versions, there's actually 19 words or phrases that um, recognize these evil evils. Lovers of self. And I thought, do we need to even go any further than selfies? <laughs> uh, fame seems to be the goal of the day, doesn't it? We want to know how many friends people have on Facebook, how many likes we can get. Politicians who care more about their, um, their fame than uh, working for people that they're supposed to be serving. 
There are pastors that would rather count how many people in the congregation than make sure that they're fed and discipled in the truth. Everyone seems to want to make a name for themselves. Well, we saw lovers of money, and we already talked about that the love of money is not the, or money is not the root of all evil, it's the love of money. We need money to exist in the world, but our attitude about money is what reveals, is, is revealed in our heart. When we love self, then we want to spend all our money on self. He mentioned boasters, bragging about who you are and what you have done. You know, we're told that our boast is to be in the Lord, what he has, who he is and what he has done. Another word was proud. And, you know, last week one of the gals in my group mentioned that pride is really idolatry. It's the me, me, me attitude. Even in our prayers, we can get that way, telling God what to do instead of listening to him and not asking what his, that his will would be done, but that mine would be done. That's pride. Paul mentions abusive people. The dictionary calls abusive extremely offensive and insulting. Well, those who do not revere God as they should are often offensive to Christians and especially to the Lord. Paul mentions disobedient to parents. Well, you know, the fifth commandment is the only one with a promise, and it tells us to honor our parents. Today, what we see is parents who idolize and honor their children trying to be their friends instead of their parents to the point that there is no respect for parents, no respect for elders or anyone at all. We saw the word ungrateful. This defines those who feel entitled. Unfortunately, there are those who seem to think that they deserve all the world has to offer without ever working for it. Next is unholy. This means they profane the name of God. Holy means separated to God. Unholy is the exact opposite. It's against God. It's an enemy of God. And their language and their lifestyle, those unholy ones, are, will certainly give them away. We see without love, and some versions say without natural af affection. Um, J. Vernon McGregor, McGee, excuse me, says that Paul is talking about homosexuality or abnormal relationships. We see in Romans 1.24, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And you know, we can't turn the television on these days without having the homosexual agenda forced down our throats. We see the word unforgiving. This is a mind often set on revenge, a mind that will not listen to truth or reason, one who must have his or her own way and will not see it any other way. Next, Paul mentions slanderous or false accusers. Just look at the political news of the day. Accusation after accusation, lies upon lies, is for the whole world to see. We see without self-control. I always say, I don't trust self-control. I want to be spirit-controlled. We see the word brutal or fierce or savage-like. There are riots in the streets, shootings in our churches. They're celebrating murder. 
It's all around us. And then we see not lovers of the good. Well, look at the coming attractions for TV and movies. Oh, my phone, I didn't turn it off. <laughs> the books on the shelves and the video games that our kids are attracted to are all about death and destruction, hating what God calls good and idolizing evil. And then we see traitors, those who betray the trust offered in friendship and without any loyalty. There was heady or headstrong, meaning reckless, acting without thought or care for anyone, and high-minded describes this as, or McGee describes this as blinded by pride. Not a nice list. There's lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and I won't even go into that. But the last one, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Here Paul gives us a few examples. He says, he, those who take advantage of women who may be ignorant of the truth of God's grace and live their lives in guilt-ridden shame. These women and all people living lives of shame need to hear the good news that Christ died for even their sins, that there is grace and forgiveness for even them. You know, some pastors will never get to that fact because they're not teaching the full counsel of God and therefore denying its power. They might be great motivational speakers or psychologists teaching about how to have happy marriages or raise successful kids, but without the realization that you are a sinner and you need a savior, you will always live in shame. Paul spoke of another example of Janus and Jambres. I don't know if that's how you pronounce their names, but they were the two magicians that opposed Moses in the Exodus. And just as these magicians were proven weak and phony, so will those who, who never acknowledge the truth of God's word. In fact, Paul states that they will be found out and their folly will be clear to everyone. We see these things, you know, in our Bibles in black and white, and they know they are evil, but we see it in our country. We see it in our state, our neighborhood, and even in our churches. And Paul's admonition to us is have nothing to do with them. Flee from evil. Which brings us to our second F, follow. We need to follow the Lord. Follow the teaching of godly men and women. Paul says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul had been a faithful servant in Christ Jesus, and we also have pastors, teachers, and faithful servants that we can imitate as they follow Christ. But how do we know who to follow? Well, there's four ways to know. We follow those who are open. Paul reminds Timothy that his life has been an open book. He's open about and where he has been, what the Lord has done through him, and what has he's, the Lord has brought him through. He has never kept anything a secret. In fellowship, when we're in fellowship, and we're hearing testimonies and honest conversation with others, we can discern who to take advice from, who to listen to. Second way is follow those who teach true doctrine. Think about it. Do they teach the whole counsel of God? Does what they say line up with God's word? We need to be Bereans. We need to check out the teaching of all the Bible teachers, all the pastors, even what you hear on the radio. You ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. 
And I was thinking, have you ever gotten like halfway through a, a Christian book that you picked up or someone told you about, and all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of bonks you on the head. This isn't for me. This isn't the whole truth. Well, God is faithful to keep you on the right track if you will listen to him. Number three, we need to follow those who practice what they preach. Paul was a servant, not a celebrity. He didn't just preach of sacrifice, he lived it. He gave to others, and he stood up for the truth, even when it meant losing friends, and in the end, even his life. You may have heard me say this before, but it's one of my favorite sayings, that our, your lifestyle should tell the whole world just how much you value the precious blood of Jesus. Those we follow must value Christ Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Number four, follow those who glorify God. Follow those who strive to glorify God in all they say and all they do. Follow those who live in the shadow of God's grace. I don't know where I got that. It was in the margin of my Bible. But think about that. They are not trying to bring glory to themselves in any way. They are in the shadows. God is in the forefront, and his grace is on display, and that brings glory to God. So that brings us to finish. In verse 14, Paul tells Timothy to continue or to finish what you have learned and have become convinced of through the Holy Scriptures. Finish means complete, it's fulfilled. It's settled. I thought of that saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Shouldn't we live our lives like that? You know, this book, our Bible, settles it. You believe it because God said it. So let's look at verse 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the margin above that verse, um, I have written what is right, what is isn't right, what to do to get right, and how to stay right. I didn't know where I got that until this week when I was reading Warren Wiersbe's commentary on this chapter. Wiersbe says, the only way to defeat Satan's lies is with God's truth. You've heard it said, thus saith the Lord. Well, that is the final answer to every question. Evil men and deceivers are going to get worse and worse. They will deceive more. Why? Because they are under the under the, Satan's power, they are being deceived by Satan. In these last days, there will be more deception and imitation, and the only way a believer will be able to tell the truth from the false is by knowing the word of God. So let's look at those four things. What is right? Well, it says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. God cannot tell a lie. All of scripture is holy. It's set apart for his use and for our education. There are more than 40 writers of the 66 books of the Bible, all having been inspired by God to write his story. 
But that doesn't mean they just felt inspired to write about God. That means that God, by his Holy Spirit, breathed those words into the minds of the writers. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And all that was written is accurate and trustworthy. That settles it. It is finished. The Bible is not only an instruction manual, it's God's love letter to his children. The Bible reveals our need for salvation, showing us just like a mirror, just how sinful and filthy we really are. We are not saved by believing the Bible, but by trusting Christ who is revealed in the Bible. We see the plan of salvation in the Bible. We're introduced to people just like ourselves and how God used them. We are encouraged, we are nourished, and we're given a purpose as we devour God's word and learn to follow Christ. So what, what isn't right? Well, our text this week had 19 things to show us was not right. Story after story in our Bible has a moral to learn right from wrong. Warnings abound, yet grace and mercy live right beside them. We learn to recognize the counterfeit by studying the true. And the Holy Spirit convicts us when we're not thinking right. But we must abide in Christ. We must practice the presence of God and listen to the Spirit when we are conf confronted by the enemy. It says all scripture is useful for rebuking. Well, we must rebuke what is not of God. We cannot keep silent. Fleeing the devil saves you, but what about the next person to fall under his sway? In Ecclesiastes 7.5, it says, It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. And in Proverbs 15.31, it says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. Remember the quote that I started with, in keeping silent about evil, in burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appears on the surface, we are implanting it, and it will rise up a thousandfold in the future. We must be willing to rebuke others gently, and we also must be able to listen and be rebuked. Number three, what to do to get right. Well, all scripture is useful for correcting that word, correcting, is the same word as when you put a, a, bone, a broken bone back together. So I get this picture of a, a shepherd here, his staff in hand, gently leading his sheep. Sometimes the staff is needed to veer them into the right path uh, or, or steer them away from trouble. Sometimes the staff is used to grab a, a lost sheep off a steep embankment or out of uh, the tangled bramble bush. Jesus leads us. He is our light in the path of life. And you know, sometimes he doesn't shine way out, you know, miles ahead so you can see what's coming. He just may show us the few steps ahead of us. But as he leads, he's always there to correct our way. He closes doors and he opens them. He lifts us up and he untangles our problems when we will bring them to the foot of the cross. You've probably seen that picture of the shepherd with the lamb over his shoulders. Well, that is a very big part of my testimony because legend has it that 
If a lamb will not follow after the shepherd and continually strays, that shepherd will actually break the lamb's leg and carry it upon his shoulder, making the lamb dependent upon him and ready to follow after him. For over six years, I had a dear friend that would continually share her life in Christ with me. She was there for me through every hard situation, uh, bad marriage, uh, trials with my job, uh, problems with my kids, financial problems, anything and everything that happened to me, Kelly was there for me. But I refused to give in to the Lord. I even knew that people were praying for me. I knew that her uh, Bible study group was praying for me, people in her church, her pastor was praying for me. And I would ask questions, and she always had an answer. And if she didn't have an answer, she'd get it for me. And I always knew that it was from God's word. One night, after a really horrible uh, argument with my husband, we were in the car, and I jumped out of the car, and I kind of turned my ankle. And uh, we were leaving the bowling alley, and my sister was still there, and I thought, I'm just going to get out of the car and go get my sister and have her take me home. And uh, I was limping along, and I did a stupid thing. A guy came up and asked me if I needed a ride, and I was trying to get away from my husband, so I got in the car with a stranger. Explain that to your kids. Um, I was, you know, I, I realized I was in big trouble almost the moment I got into the car. Even though I was trying to get away from my husband, this guy was bad news. He was driving really slow and acting really weird, and all of a sudden there were three driveways, and I asked him, oh, you can, you can let me off here, and he didn't, and we kept going, and finally I realized that he was undressing himself, and I was in big trouble. So I opened the door, he stepped on the gas and laughed, and I bailed out. I rolled out. In fact, I felt the wheel hit my head, and uh, I jumped up to run, and that's when I heard my leg snap. My leg was broken. Long story short, after being in a cast for a few weeks and not being able to drive, I finally got to Kelly's house one night. I knocked on her door, and I told her, I think I need Jesus, but I don't know how to get him. So she took me in, and she told me how to get him, and we prayed. It was like he put me on his shoulders and made me dependent on him. You know, we all need a Savior. I needed Jesus, and I finally came to my senses. The Bible leads us to that knowledge. It corrects our stinking thinking so that we can come to the end of ourselves and start living in Christ. Finally, it's how to stay right. All scripture is used for training, it says, training in righteousness. If you were here on Sunday, Shane talked a lot about training. And, um, you know, he said, you don't enter a marathon without proper training. And I thought, you know, you don't even expect to get a job without some training. You know, if I went to work for McDonald's, they wouldn't put me on the fryer without training me how to use it. We have to be trained, or as Paul puts it, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As you study God's word and you listen to him in prayer, you are being trained. You are learning by example and you're becoming more like him. You know, when an apprentice worked under a master of old, the disciple would actually take on the attributes and the characteristics of his master. 
The disciple would imitate the master, and before long, you could hardly tell them apart. Wouldn't it be amazing if no one could tell us apart from Jesus? That would be a great way to finish. So we must flee ungodliness and call it out so others will not be caught in it. Don't accept what God condemns. Paul says, have nothing to do with it. We must follow those who follow Christ and devote themselves to sound doctrine, living lives that glorify God. And we must finish well by trusting God's word. We need to accept sound teaching, listen to rebuke, correct your walk when Jesus nudges you, and train for every good work. Lord, I thank you so much for this chapter in Second Timothy, Father. There's so much there. We could go on and on and, and study it for weeks. You have given us all we need, Father, to become more like you, to stay away from evil, to, um, to learn about you, and, and to, to do your will, not to want our own way, Father. We thank you so much. We thank you for this group of women, Father, and we we know that as we share in our groups that you're even going to teach us more. So be with us now. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed, ladies. I can never turn this off.